Um, we've been working through our Unleashing the Church series, and, and so last week we talked about the presence of God. We looked at the fact that the presence that, that God throughout history, throughout Scripture, encountered His people. He made Himself known to His people, and the people um, experienced the presence of God and then chose to follow the presence of God. Well, today we're going to go from presence to practice. So it started with, uh, with God revealing himself to the Israelites, to showing up to them, leading them out of Egypt. And last week we looked in Exodus 33 where it talked about the tent of meeting in this kind of mobile place um, that God would meet with the people. And, and we saw in Exodus 33 where when God would show up to the tent of meeting, this mobile tabernacle, when God would show up, this cloud would come over it and there would be fire and, and the Spirit of the Lord would come over the tent. And so the people of Israel literally could see God's presence when God showed up. And so last week we were, we were talking about what it looks like for us to experience and see God's presence at work in our lives. And the scripture last week, I thought it was awesome. It said, it said when the Spirit stayed, when God's, when God's presence stayed, the people stayed. But when the, when the presence of God would lift and leave, the people would go with it because the people wanted to follow the presence of God. But we are no different. We are no different than the Israelites. See, we start by following God's presence. But today what we're going to see is that's not the end of it. We start by encountering and following God's presence, but then we grow as we learn to worship together. And so last week, we kind of saw the cloud, the fire, the, the mobile tent. This week, we're going to look at the temple, which was more of a stationary, a place that God's people came to worship. And so we start with the presence, but then we move to the practice. We grow as we learn to worship. When God shows up, we follow. But see, that wasn't God's whole plan for the Israelites, and that's not God's whole plan for us. God's plan was not just to be a distant cloud that they followed. God's plan was not just to be a star in the sky that they could journey behind. God had more in mind for his people than that. And that's when we move from presence to practice. See, God's plan for us is not just to know that there's a God, God's plan for us is not just to see God's presence. God's plan for us is not just to follow God's presence. There's more to it, and that's where practice comes in. And so we fast forward a little bit, and, and after the Israelites, the, the tent of meeting in the mobile tabernacle, that was on their journey to the promised land. But now we fast forward today, the Israelites have entered the promised land. They've gone through a, a time of judges and, and different things happening. And then King David um, took the throne and became the leader of Israel. And then after King David came his son Solomon. And that's where we find ourselves today. See, King David wanted to build a temple for God in Jerusalem. 
He wanted to build a temple that would be um, the namesake of God. See, now they had traveled, they had been transient, and they'd moved all this way, and they had finally come into the promised land. And so King David wanted to have a temple that would represent God, that would be a place that people could come and encounter God. But it wasn't God's will that David would build that temple. It was God's will that his son Solomon would build the temple. And so, so we, we're going to find ourselves today in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, and I just want to give you a fair warning. I've got a lot of scripture to read to you, but I think as we read this scripture, you'll get a picture of what I'm talking about when I talk about from presence to practice. So Solomon has built the temple, and in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, we come to the place that Solomon is, is ready to pray and then dedicate the temple. So let's look at that prayer together, starting in verse 14. Solomon says, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You, keep, you who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. Verse 16, now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, you shall never fail to have a successor to sit before me on the throne of Israel if only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me according to my law as you have done. And now, Lord, the God of Israel, let your word that you promised to your servant David come true. And so Solomon has built this temple and God has been faithful to Solomon and to the promises that he made to David. And Solomon starts this prayer by just saying, God, you've been faithful, continue to be faithful and bless this temple, bless these people, bless this place. But the next few verses I think are really important for us to understand the significance and the function of the temple. And by the way, um, we, we don't meet in the temple in Jerusalem, we meet in a church building. But I want you to see the parallels between the, what the temple meant to the people and what the church, the building, means to us. So let's pick it up in verse 18. It says, but will God really dwell on earth with humans? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet, Lord my God, give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence. May your eyes be open toward this temple day and night. This place of which you said you would put your name there. May you hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. So Solomon has built this great temple, this beautiful temple. Have ever, any of you ever been in just a beautiful, immaculate church? Like maybe you've been to Europe and you've seen some of the cathedrals. And I, I love this sanctuary. I love the stained glass around. I love the, just the beauty of it. it it's a beautiful place. This, that's what the temple was. It was this magnificent structure. 
But Solomon and the people of Israel had been around long enough to know that a temple couldn't hold the presence of God. God was bigger than that. Now, the people definitely messed up at times and tried to manipulate or contain God, but that wasn't the point of what was happening. Solomon says, will you really dwell on earth with humans? This temple can't hold you. The heavens can't even hold you. And so we understand from the very beginning that this temple was not built to be a containment place for God. This temple was built to be a meeting place with God. And, and that's what the church is. This, the church isn't the only place that God exists. The church isn't a place that contains the power in the presence of God. The church is a place that we come to meet with God. This would be a p place where people would, would go to worship God. The, and their worship would remind them of who God is and who they are and would draw them closer to the Almighty God. I had a professor in college and he talked about the church building and he talked about the fact that people are drawn to the church building. Sometimes that's true, sometimes it's not. These days a lot of churches look less like church buildings, but I do think there's something significant going on here. See, this place doesn't contain God, it doesn't limit God, it doesn't restrict God, but there is something special about the temple about the church. And I believe when people are really hurting or really searching and they need to find God, this is one of the places that they would first come. I've seen it happen before where people would stop by the church and say, I didn't know what to do, but I, I needed to find God and I thought this was the place to do it. We see it in movies all the time. One, one of those movies, Home Alone, when, when little Kevin is left at home and, and he's struggling and he's scared, what does he do? He goes to the church and he sits because he wants to meet with God. And so this temple is a place to meet with God. It's a place to worship. And so the temple is an important place. Next we see, and there's a lot of scripture coming up, next we see examples of what it means to be shaped and to encounter God in the temple. So just hang on here. We're going to see a lot of different things, starting in verse 22. Solomon says, When anyone wrongs their neighbor and is required to take an oath, and they come and swear the oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act. Judge between your servants, condemning the guilty and bringing down on their heads what they have done and vindicating the innocent by treating them in accordance with their innocence. So the first thing we see here, the first situation that we see people come to the temple is we see them come to get guidance for their relationships. When they've messed up in their relationships, when they've wronged each other, they come to be made right. And where do they go? They go to the temple, to the meeting place with God. Next, in verse 24, it says, when your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn their back and give praise to your name, when they turn back, not turn their back, turn back and give praise to your name, praying and making supplication before you in the temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land you gave them and their ancestors. So, 
when you've suffered defeat, when you've struggled, when you've messed up, and you've been overcome by something else, what do you do? You go to the temple, and you turn your heart to God, and you cry out. And so the temple and worship brings us back to God when we've strayed, when we've been defeated. Verse 26, when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you. And when they prayed toward this place and give praise to your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land and give your people for, um, and give, <laughs> get, I'm sorry, and send, this is a lot to read and I struggle reading, and, and send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. So when you find yourself in a place of need, you haven't experienced rain, you've turned your back once again, the people, when they're in need, what do they do? They come to the temple. They cry out for mercy. They cry out for God. And God hears them and relieves them. Verse 28, when famine or plague comes to the land or blight or mildew, locust or grasshoppers, or when enemies besiege them in any of their cities, whatever disaster or disease may come, and when a prayer or plea is made, any, made by anyone among your people Israel, being aware of their afflictions and pains and spreading out their hands toward this temple, then hear from, the, from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and deal with everyone according to what they do, since you know their hearts, for you alone know the human heart, so that they will fear you, walk in obedience to you all the time that they live in the land that you gave our ancestors. And so once again, when you find yourself in famine, when you find yourself in plague, when you find yourself lost, what do we do? We come to the temple, and we're reminded who God is, and we're reminded who we are, and God helps us in our time of need. God teaches us and draws us. And I love that part in verse 31, so that they will fear you and walk in obedience to you. When we understand who God is and who we are, we learn to be obedient because God is God and we are not. We got a couple more. Um, as, far, as for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel but has come from a distant land because of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when they come and pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. So in other words, this is a place of salvation. When somebody comes from outside that's not a part of God's people, that doesn't have a relationship with God, and they come in and they seek God's presence, they come to the temple and they find out who God is. And God's word and God's power is spread to the nations. Verse 34, when your people go to war against their enemies, wherever you send them and when you, they pray to you toward the, this city you have chosen and the temple I have built in your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause. When you're going to battle with something, when you're doing it in the right means, what do you do? You go to the temple and you get strength from God. And then verse 36 when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. And you become angry with them and give them over to their enemy who takes them captive to a land far away or near. 
And if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong and acted wickedly, and, and if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their captivity where they are taken, and pray toward the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city you have chosen, and toward the temple I have built in your name, then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their pleas, and uphold their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, my God, may your eyes be open and the, your ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. And so when we've messed up in our relationship with God, we talked about our relationship with others, we've talked about our place of need, we've talked about when we have battles to face, and now when we've messed up and we've been separated from God, but we cry out, we come to God in the temple, and he brings us back. Verse 41, now arise, Lord, and Lord God, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests, Lord God, be clothed with salvation. May your faithful people rejoice in your goodness. Lord God, do not reject your anointed one. Remember the great love promised to David, your servant. And so we see in all of these, I know that was a lot to walk through, but we see in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 6 that the temple is the place to go no matter what's going on in your life. If you've messed up with people, if you've messed up with God, if you have a battle to face, if you're in need, if you're hurting, what do you do? You go to the temple. Why? Because that's where you experience God. That's where you're reminded of who God is. And that's where God draws you to him. And so the temple becomes a place of practice, a place where God's people come to encounter a holy God and learn to worship. And what we see here is that in all situations, we are to worship. And so it doesn't matter the circumstance that you find yourself in, it doesn't matter how messed up you've gotten, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life, the temple was where you go to encounter and learn to be holy as God is holy. And so when we learn, I want to turn this from the Israelites to us because everything that was said about the Israelites is true for us. When we learn to worship God through habits and practices, we are formed to be Christ-like. We believe that we are called to be holy as God is holy. And so just as the Israelites were called to go to the temple and learn to worship and be drawn to God, we are called to come together in God's church and grow and worship and practice together and be drawn to God, drawn to holiness. See, God's temple is a part of our holiness. When I look at the three weeks of this series, we look at God's presence and choosing to follow. We look at God's temple and, and the practice of worship, learning to, to hear God and experience God and respond to God. And then next week, as we talk about the Spirit of God filling us, this is what holiness is all about. Holiness is not just seeing God work and choosing to follow. Holiness is also learning to worship in all situations, to be drawn to the holy God that teaches us and transforms us. And then next week, we'll talk about the filling of the Spirit and Pentecost See, holiness demands more than awareness and a simple following of God. 
Holiness demands a life fully surrendered. And one of my fears for us, because you hear this all the time, I, I, I saw it online a couple weeks ago when people said, we don't need the church, we don't need the church. We can be who God created us to be without the church. Nothing changes if you take away the church. And I would just say, read your Bible. God's temple was the place that was built for the people to come and meet together and come together as one body and be transformed into his people. I'm not saying that, you, that, that this church is everything. I'm not saying you can only encounter God here. I'm not saying that you have to come to a church building to worship. That's absolutely not what I'm saying, and it's not true. But there's no question in Scripture that God's temple, that God's church, is one of the ways that God is tuning our hearts to know him, to follow him, to serve him, to be transformed. And so we can't forsake the practice of coming to the temple, of coming to the church, and learning to worship. In fact, next week we're gonna look at Pentecost, which is when the Spirit of God came upon the people, and this amazing thing happened, and they were sent out, but guess what? And I got a home, some homework for you. Go read Acts 3 through 6 in your New Testament. Those th four chapters. Go read Acts 3 through 6, and this is what you're going to find. Even after the Spirit of God came over the people and they were sent out, guess what the people did? The apostles. They went to the temple over and over because they had seen God's presence. They had chosen to follow. They had been drawn in to learn to worship, to be formed by God in the practice of worshiping in God's temple and God's holy place. And now they're filled with the Spirit to go. Author James Smith, in his book, You Are What You Love, talks about the fact that we are creatures of habit. Do you agree with that? We are creatures of habit. Shake your head. I need some people to shake their head. Are we creatures of habit? First thing I did this morning when I pulled into the parking lot, I pulled into the same spot or two or three spots that I always pull into in the parking lot. I always park in the same place. When everybody's here at church, I park over by the church bus in the last line of rows. Now that people aren't in the church during the week when, there's, when it's not a full parking lot, I park just a couple rows over in the front of the parking lot, two or three spots back. I'm a creature of habit. We go to the same places to eat, don't we? I remember when I was in the teen group and I, we were in Nashville and there was a McDonald's across the street from the church and it seemed like every Sunday and Wednesday night we would get done with youth group, we would go over to the McDonald's and we would find our booth and we would sit there. We were creatures of habit. We, I could tell you where all of the staff is parked right now because we park in the same spots every day. I can tell you where most of you sit because you sit in the same spot every week. I had a habit during upward season that Saturday was for Arby's lunch, Sunday was Cain's lunch. I have ha we are creatures of habit. And so what, what James Smith is saying in his book is that we are creatures of habit and, and the liturgy of the church, let me explain that liturgy, you may have heard the word, you may not have, but liturgy is the structure and the ritual elements of a church service. And he says that the liturgy of the church shapes us and disciples us to be more like Christ. In fact, listen to these words. This is from James Smith. 
in the book, You Are What You Love. The church's worship is the heart of discipleship. Yes, Christian formation is a life-encompassing Monday through Saturday, weekend and week-out project, but it radiates from and is nourished by the worship life of the congregation gathered around word and table. There is no sanctification without the church, not because some building holds a superstitious magic, but rather because um, the church is the very body of Christ animated by the Spirit of God and composed of spirited practices. As Craig Dykstra once put it, the life of Christian faith is the practice of many practices, not because this is something we accomplish, but because these practices are the habitations of the Spirit. The practices of prayer and song, preaching and offering, baptism and communion are the canoes, the boats, and the helicopters that God graciously sends our way. He meets us where we are as creatures of habit who are shaped by our practices and invites us into a community of practice that is the very body of His Son. Liturgy is the way we put on Christ. Now, some of you may agree with some of that and you may disagree with some of that, but there's no question that part of God's plan for His people is to come together as the body to worship together, to practice together, and to be formed into the character of God. And so it starts with us seeing God at work. We choose to follow God, but then we have the temple and we have the practice, a group of people who worship together and are formed together, and when we come together, we encounter God together. But it's not just encountering God, it's to be shaped by God. See, we have liturgy, we have habits, we have practice in everything we do, where we park, what we eat. In our relationships, we have liturgies or practices. We say hi to each other, we say bye to each other, we say please, we say thank you, we say that we love each other, we communicate with each other. We do all of, these are practices that help us grow in our relationship. And when those are missing, as a married man, when, when I'm not polite, when I don't say hi, when I don't say bye, when I don't do the right things, when I don't follow the practices or the liturgies, guess what happens? There's a, there's a gap in my relationship with my wife. Little things, like I, I walk out the door. I don't mean anything by it. I walk out the door to go somewhere. I forget to say bye. And later, somebody thinks I'm upset with them because I forgot to say bye. That's one of the practices of relationships. When I don't communicate well, that's a practice of relationship. And when there's not good communication, our relationships hurt. And so we have habits, practices, liturgies in our relationships. It's no different with God. See, we come together and we sing praise to God. We learn to praise God through our voices. That's a practice that builds our relationship with God. We hear God's word every week. You've heard of a lot of God's word today. We hear the word of God. That's a practice that draws us closer to God. We usually have altars in here, and, and a lot of times there are times to respond to what God is speaking to us. That's a practice. Baptism, 
communion, even greeting time, and other churches call it the passing of the peace. It's a practice that teaches us to be the people that God creates us to be. And so just like in our relationships, we have habits and practices that draw us together. There are things we do when we come together to grow, to be drawn towards God. God initiates these practices. We follow we learn to worship and we become like Christ. And these should lead us as we go. Another quote from that book, our capital L liturgy on Sunday morning should generate lowercase l liturgies that govern our existence throughout the rest of the week. So when we learn to praise God and to give thanksgiving, we should follow that practice throughout the week when we're not in a church building. When we come together and we welcome and we pass peace, we are being taught to be a people of peace. And so Monday through Saturday, we should be a people of peace where we are. Our practices, our worship help us to become who Christ created and calls us to be. The worship team's going to come up and we're going to respond um, to this idea of practice, this idea of learning and being drawn to God through worship. And so the first part of this movement of God through Scripture is the presence of God showing up. I hope that you were with us last week. I hope that you have seen the presence of God in your life and you have chosen to follow God in His presence, but there's more to it. And I know there's probably some watching who have gotten out of the habit. I'm not talking about during COVID, but have gotten out of the habit of coming together with Christ's body in the church and practicing the habits of worship. I believe that God calls us to more than just knowing he's present and following his presence. I believe that God calls us to worship and to develop habits that lead us and draw us closer to God. Next week, we're gonna talk about the Spirit of God. But today, I believe that God is calling each and every one of us deeper. I believe no matter what the circumstances that are happening in your lives, that God is drawing you to His presence, to His peace, to His power. And so today, as as we sing this last song, today in everything you do, I want you to practice worship. It doesn't just happen in a temple or in a sanctuary. It doesn't just happen when we sing. It doesn't just happen when you're in certain places. Worship is what we do with all our lives. So today, let's practice. Let's be drawn to the holy God and let's grow in our relationship through the practice of worship. Father, we love you pray you be with us. I, we know you're with us no matter where we are. We don't have to come into a building to be in your presence, but Lord, there's something powerful about your people coming together to worship you and to do the things that you've called us to do. And so, Father, we worship you today. We want to grow in you in Jesus' name. Amen.